If you would, uh, if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 35? And we're going to continue our series, our Advent series in the book of Isaiah. This is a passage that um, is probably not very familiar to most of us, but Isaiah chapter 35 um, is really asking the question, what will it look like when the glory of God shows up on earth? What would that look like? So would you stand with me as I read Isaiah 35? The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grasses shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Father, would you please help us in these words to see more clearly what you are promising to do in our world. All that you are doing in and through Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated, please. Last week I told you about um, this little internet binge I've been on watching old Christmas commercials. And I came across another, uh, another great Christmas commercial. I think it's for the Publix. Uh, you know, Publix is like a supermarket chain in the South. And, um, okay, this Christmas, uh, it, it starts off, it's, it's, uh, it's in a hospital. And, um, you know, there's a doctor, and he's doing his rounds, and he's probably the, he's, an, he's a resident. You know, he's doing his internship. He's the low man on a totem pole, and he's got to go in for work on Christmas Day. And he's, he's on the phone, he's talking to his mom, and everybody's there, his family's there, and they're, they're putting the turkey in the oven, and they're, you know, it's so festive, but he's at work, and, um, and he says, you know, I really wish I could be there with you this year, mom, and she says, it's okay, we all understand, and he's going to see his patients, and one of the patients says, uh, are you going to be with your family, are you going to get to see your family today, and he says, no, they're all up at my parents, and you know, the idea is they're kind of in another state, they're really far away, and then he leaves, he gets off work, and he, he, uh, he's riding the bus home, and he's the only one on the bus, and it's just, it's just so sad and kind of pathetic looking, 
Um, and he goes into his apartment building and he kind of remembers, he calls his mom back and says, Mom, I forgot, um, I forgot to say, but would you tell everybody Merry Christmas for me? And she says, of course. And as he says that, he opens the door and his whole family is there in his apartment, right? <laughs> I'm like, I can, I've watched it like four times this week and I can barely talk about it. Without, <sighs> Christmas is about coming home. Um, Christmas is about coming home. No matter how old we get, Christmas is always about coming home. We've looked this Advent at some of the key kind of biblical themes of Christmas. Christmas is about hope. Christmas is about peace. And this week, we see in this passage that Christmas is about coming home. Um, home is um, the thing that we all long for. Um, a home is, uh, is, you know, it's getting back together with family. It's the, maybe the one time a year where we, uh, you know, no matter how old we are, no matter, you know, maybe some of you have kids that are out, you know, other parts of the country and you miss them, especially at Christmas. Um, some of us, you know, we have family coming back into town. We're going back to wherever it is we came from to celebrate Christmas at home. A couple of years ago, my parents um, rented a house and it was... I don't know, maybe the first time in many years that, that my parents and all of their kids and all of their grandkids were going to be together, um, certainly for Christmas, but maybe ever. And, and, uh, and we get there, and that morning, the morning we're all supposed to arrive, my dad got sick, and, um, and he couldn't make it. And, uh, and he's, I'm going to make my dad sound like an invalid. He's fine, but he was in the hospital for a couple of days. Um, and uh, he, I mean, he was, he was fine. <laughs> but, uh, you know, every day we're calling my mom and we're calling my dad and we're saying, are you guys coming? When are you going to get here? It's not Christmas until everybody's here together. It's not home until we're all there together. I don't care how old we ever get. Um, the thing that we all want is to be at peace and to be at rest. Um, and to be with the ones that we love, who care for us and who accept us. That's what it means to be home. Uh, you know, Ashley, my wife, is a writer, and she wrote a, a piece this week about, um, I guess it was really our second apartment, but um, kind of our first home in a way. And uh, <laughs> it's funny reading it because the reality is it was a dark, damp basement flat. It only had one window. It was just cold, and I slept for two years, I guess, kind of up against a cold stone wall. It was a miserable place, a nasty carpet, but she's, um, she's writing this, uh, this, and I'm reading about you know, our first home, and I'm getting nostalgic for this place. And when we moved out of there, I'll never forget, my dad was like, I'm so glad you guys don't live there anymore. <laughs> but just, you know, it made me, like, I want to go visit our old flat in, uh, in, in Edinburgh, Scotland, because that was our home. And it was really the place in a lot of ways that, that, um, that we kind of became a family and we, we had friends over and um, that was our home. You know, the story of the Bible is about people who have lost their home. Um, a lot of people think the Bible is, oh, it's so long, it's really confusing, I don't understand what's going on. You know, the story of the Bible is really very simple. Uh, the opening chapters of the Bible, God creates a home for his people and we throw a fit and we get kicked out, and the whole rest of the Bible is about what God does to bring his people home. It's the story of the Bible. 
getting, how do we get home? And in Isaiah chapter 35, we see what happens when the glory of the Lord shows up. And when the glory of the Lord shows up and the Messiah appears, what Christmas is about is coming home. What will it look like when the Messiah appears and takes us home? Two things I really I want you to see in this passage, really simply. Why do we need to find our home, okay? The first thing is that we are homeless, that we are in exile. Um, is, is really obvious, right, if you think about it. The reason that you need to get home is because you're not home yet. Um, what does it look like? If we're going to see what it means for God to bring us home, we have to first understand that we have lost our home. The story of the Bible is the story of a people who have lost our home. According to the Bible, every human being is in exile. We are all spiritually homeless. Um, the Bible starts, as I just said, with Adam and Eve. Right, The first you know, two chapters of Genesis, the opening chapters of the Bible, God creates a paradise. Uh, and our first parents, they are home, and it is wonderful. Uh, but like you know, petulant little children, they just they rebel against God, and God's goodness isn't enough for them, and they, they lose their home. And as, as, our, as our representatives and as our parents, we are expelled from paradise as a human race with them. And the, re the result for all of us is that we are homeless, and we are exiles, and we are spiritually homeless. Uh, let me ask you, do you know what it's like to live as an exile? Uh, I know some of you have uh, had experiences living in a place where you feel like a foreigner. I mean, some of you are from another part of the country, and living in Southern California uh, feels like you are an outsider, maybe. Um, I've already mentioned yeah, Ashley and I lived in Scotland for three years, and for three years we lived... Uh, you know, it's sort of like expats. Um, one of the things that becomes very quickly apparent um, when you live in a foreign culture, I, I, this is the best way I can think of to describe what it feels like to live somewhere that's not your home. You're just hyper aware of yourself. You can't do normal things like going to the grocery store without feeling like an outsider. Um, you know, you try, try to find tortillas at a uh, grocery store in Scotland. And if you can't find them, just ask somebody where they are. And they will look at you like you are a moron. <laughs> and um, we, we had some other American friends, and we used to refer to getting the look. And the look is this, like, look on the face of a Scottish person when you ask a perfectly normal question that says, I have no idea what you're talking about, and I kind of think you're stupid. And um, I got the look so much that I would, um, I, I started playing this game with myself that every time I went to the grocery store, I tried to see if I could get in and out without giving away the fact that I was an American. And uh, it's really easy in Scotland because you can kind of just grunt when people ask you questions. Um, how are you doing? Oh, you know, it's fine. Um, and I can do it fairly, fairly um, proficiently. Um, but you know, it's exhausting. Um, it's exhausting. It feels like you can't rest. You can't do normal things uh, with confidence. That's what it's like to live as an exile. It's hard to live somewhere that's not your home. Um, you feel foolish. You feel stupid. You end up doing things that you don't really want to do. Like the third time you ask somebody what they said and you can't understand their response, you just kind of smile and nod, right? Um, you might just buy something because you asked, where can I find like canned pumpkin, right? It's, it's Thanksgiving. You gotta have a pumpkin pie for Thanksgiving. So we got, where, do you, where can I get canned pumpkin? Well, they don't even know what Thanksgiving is in Scotland. So it's like, you know, somebody hands you something and 
it's not canned pumpkin, but you just buy it anyway. <laughs> Doesn't matter at that point. Um, when you're in exile, when you're homeless, you'll do all kinds of things to stuff, you know, to try to fill that hole in your heart. You'll stuff people and things and food, and you will spend money on things that you don't even want. Because you want to be home, and you don't want to feel like an outsider. You want to be at rest. You want to be safe. You want to feel like you belong. And yet we know it doesn't work. And the reason that it doesn't work is because it's with the story of the Bible. But Psalm 90 says it like this. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. God is our dwelling place. God is our home. This world was never meant to be our home. God is, is the one with whom we are home. To be with God is to be home, and nothing else really can satisfy. Um, another way to say it, we were designed to love God. Uh, you were built, you were created with a purpose, and your purpose was to bring glory to God. And you never feel as much delight as you do when you are serving and glorifying and loving God. That, that's what we were made for. And nothing else will satisfy. But we now live in a world that doesn't fit our deepest desires, and because of that, we are homeless. We're spiritually homeless. Listen to, I mean, we have a sense of this. To be literally homeless is brutal, right? To be a homeless person is, um, is devastating. Homelessness it destroys you physically, it destroys you emotionally, it destroys you mentally, it's destructive. But do you know what's worse than being spiritually home, uh, being, well, I just ruined the punchline. <laughs> you know what's worse than being physically homeless is being spiritually homeless. homeless. And the thing that's so tragic is that you can be spiritually homeless and not really even know it. Um, I mean, you know it in a sense, but you can live in like a really nice big house and be spiritually homeless and have the sense that everything is not right, but I have no idea why that is. Right? You can be spiritually homeless and not be able to put your finger on the source of your discontent. But the Bible says that we were made to live with God. But instead of living with God, we threw a fit. We pointed our fingers at God. We told him he wasn't doing his job. And as a result, we lost our home. Our world is full. I mean, we live in a culture um, where, uh, I mean, our culture is full of people who would say something. You know, I, honestly, like, I don't believe in Christmas. Uh, I mean, I, at least the biblical story of Christmas. I don't believe that, that um, God came to earth and was born as a baby by a virgin on Christmas. I don't, you know, I don't believe that, but, but they still celebrate it, right? Um, we still give presents. We still, you know, go see Santa. We still do the whole thing, right? Um, and if that's you or if that's somebody you know, what I would, what I would say is, is just this. I would ask, then why do you still long for home? Um, why is it that no matter if you were, your Christmas, your, parent, your parents' house for Christmas last year, and you ache to be home for Christmas again this year? Why do you still ache to be home? It's not something that you learned. You know, we don't long to go home at Christmas because there are commercials about going home. And there are commercials about going home because we ache to be home for Christmas. It can only mean that we are not yet home, right? Julian Barnes is, a, is an author, a writer, and he said, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I don't believe in God, but I long for him. I ache for him. 
And that's a little bit what I think the ache of Christmas, of, of wanting to go home, is like. Um, uh, I heard a pastor tell a story about a woman. Um, a, a woman in his church came to him and said, uh, Hey, Pastor, my, my mother hates the church. She hates Christians. She hates the Bible. She hates Christianity. She hates the whole thing. Would you go talk to her? <laughs> this is awesome, right? And of course, he said yes, right? Because that's what pastors do. And so he goes and he sits with this woman, and just for 45 minutes, she just, it's like a vitriol just oozing out of her, and her hurt, and her hatred, and things that have been done to her, and, and things that she has done, and oh, she's so angry, and he just sat and quietly listened. And, uh, and finally, you know, he, he wasn't defensive, and finally she just kind of runs out of steam. And she was, I think, pretty, pretty amazed that he didn't say anything. And um, you know, he didn't try to defend himself or the church or anything. And she kind of gets real quiet, and she says, can I tell you something, Pastor? She says, of course. And she says, I've never told anybody this, but every night when I go to bed, I turn off my light, I get in bed, and the last thing I do before I fall asleep is I say, good night, Jesus. Never told anybody that before. Now, why would a woman who hates the church say goodnight to Jesus? Because there's an ache, there is a longing to be home. What did C.S. Lewis say? I think it's, um, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, that can only mean that I was created for another world, that I'm not yet home, that I'm not yet truly home. We are in a stage with, uh, we have, I think, two kids who entered the temper tantrum stage like this week. <laughs> and uh, I came home one day, Ashley told me, uh, man, I had a, it was crazy, you know, one of our kids yelling at me in the car today. And, uh, and this is what, was, this is what uh, one of our kids said, you know, full top of, top of their lungs, you're being wooed and you're making me angry. <laughs> And I thought, you know, number one, I'm really impressed at the way you're about a uh, way to uh, at the way you're able to express your emotions, you know. Um, and number two, not everything you don't like means that I'm being rude <laughs> or wooed. Um, not everything you don't like is rude. You know, Christmas is about God coming to children like us who are just pitching a fit and saying, God, you're making me angry and I don't like it. You're being rude to me. And he comes and he puts his loving arms around us and says, you know what? I'm going to take you home anyway. We are exiles. We are homeless. But the second thing that I want you to see in this passage is that there is a highway home. What happens when the glory of the Lord shows up? It says it'll be like, like getting on a highway, a freeway, and just, it just had straight back to home and nothing can get in the way nothing can slow you down verse 8 Isaiah 35 says a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness verse 10 the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing now what is Zion? Well, Zion is the place where God dwells it's a story about God's people who have been exiles finally coming home coming back to the place that is our true home, the place that God lives, the place that God dwells. What's it like to be home? You know, home is the place where everything suits you, where you know everything, where everything is. Um, 
I remember a friend telling me, uh, we were like sophomores in college, and he said um, uh, his parents, you know, between the time he left for college and, and, you know, he went back for Christmas, maybe sophomore year, his parents moved. And he said, it's just completely disorienting to go into my parents' house, but I don't know which drawer is the silverware drawer, right? Um, completely just disorienting. It doesn't feel like home anymore. Home is the place where you know where everything is. Uh, home is the place where everything is the way you want it to be. I mean, at least theoretically-ish, uh, right? Um, home is the place where, like, all your things are, where you can rest. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe I could just put it like this. Home is the place where you can just walk around in your underwear. Um, you can't do that anywhere else, right? Problems happen if you try to do that elsewhere. But um, you don't need to put on makeup. You don't need to try to look good. Home is the place where you're accepted, not because of what you do, but because of who you are. Home is the place where you're safe. And Isaiah 35 says that one day the glory of God will break into this world and we will finally be home. Um, how will that happen? How will, how will God make this world our home again? Well, the answer is Christmas. Uh, Christmas. Do you, do you realize how much homelessness is, is central to the story of Christmas? Um, you know, I, I keep mentioning this, but we have so just over-sentimentalized like, Christmas that we have forgotten the fact that Christmas happens to homeless people, really. Um, you know, Mary and Joseph are on their way to Bethlehem. They're not at home. And Jesus is born. Where's Jesus born, right? He's born in a stable. Um, not because it's cute. Um, not because they're, like, rejecting corporate greed and not staying at a motel. <laughs> right? <laughs> they're not like the original hipsters. Uh, he's born in a stable because that's the only place that was available. Um, you know... Have, have you um, ever been with a pregnant woman who is saying, now is the time? Um, I was in a car once with a pregnant woman saying, I don't know if we're going to make it, right? That's the story of Christmas. The baby is coming, and they've knocked on a door, and the door has been shut on their face. And Joseph says, you know, there's some shelter over here. And they get in there, and that's where the baby is born. You know, little Jesus lays down his sweet head on the hay, and so nobody like came in and fluffed the hay before Jesus, little baby Jesus, was born. Um, this is not a clean, sterile environment. You know, one of our kids, we had we had so many kids, we've had every birth experience, and one of them uh, asked, she's like, why didn't you catch the baby? That's okay. So they put this like gown on me. I've got rubber gloves on. It's like totally sterile and not right feeling. That's about the opposite of how Jesus was born. They lay him in a, in a manger, right? What's a manger? Well, it's not this sweet thing that Jesus was born in. It's a place where animals eat. Um, it's dirty. What's the point of all of it? Okay, we got it. What's the point? Um, Jesus was born homeless. He wasn't born in a house. Uh, he was born on the road. He was born on the streets. He was born in an alley. He was homeless. Um, immediately after Jesus is born, what happens? They're, they're on the run from the government. They've got to flee. They've got to, they've got, they are refugees. They run to Egypt because the government is now after them. Jesus was born homeless. Um, but it's not just his birth. Jesus says, and I think it's Matthew 8, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere 
fillet his head. Rich Mullins uh, said, the hope of the whole world rests on the shoulders of a homeless man. It's kind of startling to think about that, isn't it? And then he goes to the cross. And on the cross, it was Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? What is he saying? Jesus is exiled by God. God turns his back on Jesus when he is there on the cross. That's what Christmas is about. That God comes to earth and lives as an exile because that's what he's got to do to be with us because we are exiles. But he comes to earth and lives as an exile in order to bring homeless exiles like us home. Did you see it says in Isaiah 35, I mentioned he's going to build a highway. He's going to take us home. I love it. It says in verse 8, even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. That's like the most comforting thing I read in this passage. Even if you are foolish, you can't fall off this highway. You can't miss it. God's work will be so thorough and so complete uh, and so far-reaching that even if you are foolish, you get on this highway and you will get home. Now you might say, well, that doesn't seem, it doesn't seem that obvious now, does it? Well, that's because God has done what, somebody, you know, what nobody really expected. See, Isaiah says that God's going to build a highway, but that nobody unclean can be on that highway. God's going to build a highway, and it will usher in the clean people, and they will all be welcome home. Well, that's a problem for us, isn't it? Because if God shows up as kind of the conquering hero, the returning king who's come back to judge, and he says, okay, everybody who's clean, follow me, we're going home. Guess what? There's not going to be anybody following him. And so what God does is he doesn't come as a returning king. Well, he doesn't come to declare victory and to judge but he comes as a humble servant. He comes as one of us. He comes um, as an exile. He comes homeless, as a homeless man. Um, think about it like this. How is God going to bring homeless exiles into his house without us ruining it? I remember several years ago, my, my mother had befriended a homeless couple. And, um, and she was saying, you know, she was just kind of musing out loud, you know, maybe, maybe I'll invite this homeless couple to, uh, to our house for Thanksgiving. And I remember my grandmother saying, okay, but can we ask them to shower first? My grandmother was, you know, tact was not her strong suit. I mean, that's kind of harsh to say, but like, that's kind of it, right? Um, how can unclean people like us go home without it just ruining the whole experience. Well, Jesus comes humbly. He comes as a homeless man. He is expelled from God's presence. Why does that happen? Well, Jesus gets what we deserve so that we can get what he deserves. He becomes homeless in order to bring us home. He is exiled in order to bring exiles back home. In John 14, Jesus says, In my Father's house there are many rooms, and I will go prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, then I will surely come back, and I will get you, and then I will take you home. And you will be home in God's house. And we now live in the time when Jesus is, according to that, you know, in his Father's house preparing a place for us. But he's going to come back and get us. 
We live in between his first and his second advent. We live in this in-between time. We live in the time between, um, I mean, one way to think of this is we live between D-Day, when the, the, you know, the final outcome of the war has been cemented and fixed, and V-Day, when the enemy has actually stopped fighting. We live in between those times. We live in between the time when Jesus has come to announce that he will bring us home and the time when he returns to finish what he has started. But we now live in light of what the future holds, that Jesus will return, and when he returns, he won't just bring us home, he's going to bring everything home. He's going to bring the world home. In fact, he's going to remake the world so that this is our home. That's what the final chapter of the Bible says, that heaven will come down to earth, and God will live with us, and we will be finally home. So how do we live now? How do we live now in light of Christmas? How do we live now in light of the fact that one day Jesus will come again, his second advent will, uh, will be here, and then it will be so blindingly obvious uh, that you know, even though a fool couldn't fall off the highway uh, back to heaven. How do we live now? Well, um, there's two things that I think we ought to do in light of what this tells us. And the first thing is this, that we need to repent. Um, to repent means to turn around, to change your mind, but not just to change your mind, but to change your life. Um, Christmas is not about pulling yourself together and making yourself look good so that you can go home. I mean, that might be what you do at Christmas, and we get all our kids dressed up, and we take pictures, and we send Christmas cards, but Christmas is about, you know, Christmas biblically is about realizing I'm a mess. Um, I'm a mess and God has come to find me. He's come to bring me home. Um, repentance is simply admitting how weak you are and trusting that you have a father who welcomes you home. Do you know what the best Christmas gift is? My wife's always asking me, what do you want for Christmas? I don't really have a good answer because this is what I really want for Christmas. The best Christmas gift is somebody who loves you and who knows you so well got you a gift that is just the perfect thing that you didn't even know you wanted. But as soon as you open it up, you're like, yes! Okay, good luck. <laughs> That's what I want for Christmas. And you know what? Christmas... is recognizing Jesus as that gift. That, you know what, I didn't even know that I was looking for him, and yet God gave me exactly what I needed. And so maybe this Christmas, uh, maybe this Christmas you'll repent for the first time and say, thank you, God, for the gift of Jesus. Or, or maybe you'll repent for the thousandth time. Um, maybe you've been a Christian for years, but you've been living like you can actually get yourself home on your own. And all the things and all the stuff and all the people and all the food that you stuff into your life don't really fill you up. And you'll say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Maybe God will bring us home this Christmas. But secondly, if we've repented, once or, you know, a hundred, a thousand times. Christmas means this. Christmas means that once you've found your spiritual home, you can live anywhere. 
once you have found your spiritual home, you can really live anywhere. Um, that's been part of our story, I mean, our family's story. Uh, God has moved us many, many places. We've literally been around the world. Um, we've been in several, I don't know, just, you know, we've lived a lot of different places. God has moved us around. And that's the story of God's people. Uh, God consistently and regularly calls his people to leave the place that we are comfortable and go to an unknown place. And once we arrive in that unknown place to make it our home, to, to set down roots, to build a home there, and then to invite others into our home and welcome them to. And you know, for, for some of us, that's what God has done physically in our lives, but that's metaphorically what he does with everyone. I mean, that has been the story of God's people from Abraham in Genesis 12 onward. God calls his people to leave the place that we are comfortable because he is our home and he is with us. And we go out into the world into an unknown place and he, you know, enables us to put down roots and that is the place that we are home. And we welcome others into, into that home. And there's all kinds of ways that you can do that. Um, you can do that in a big house. You can do that in a small house. Um, you can do that with lots of money. You can do that without any money. Um, there's just all kinds of ways that we can do that. But uh, let me just talk about the Christmas offering as one way to do that. And I, I don't want to turn this like into like an infomercial. But um, this is the reason why we're trying to raise $25,000 in the last month of the year. Because it, it, this church being here is about providing a home. It's not an accident that there's a sign that says welcome home right outside the door, right? Uh, I had two conversations about the Christmas offering this week with people who don't go to our church. Uh, and the first, I had a, friend, a conversation with a friend who's a pastor, friend of mine, whose brother is in the room. <laughs> he emailed me and said, dude, strategic reserve, nobody's going to give to that. Come on, man. Like, that's, you got to tell stories. Like, that's not sexy. Uh, who wants to give to a strategic reserve? And I'm like, I know, I get it. But listen, like, this is what we're doing. Like, we don't just need to be able to give away money. We need money to function and operate as a church so that this can be a home for people. So, duh. <laughs> and then I had another conversation with a friend. Um, I had a lunch with a friend, this guy, and he's, uh, sorry. I had lunch with a friend this week, a guy who doesn't go to our church, but he lives in Orange County. And he said, tell me about the Christmas offering, and what are you guys doing? And I told him, and, and he said, we're trying to raise $25,000, and here's what the money's going for. And he said, uh, what do you think it would, would, it, would it be helpful if every dollar that's given to the Christmas offering this year, I doubled it? I said, yeah, that would help. <laughs> um, he said, up to $25,000. Every dollar that's given in the Christmas offering this year, I'm going to match it. Um, and so I tell that to you, hopefully to encourage you and to challenge you. I know the first thing, it, you know, even as he's telling me this, is like, okay, so if I can squeeze out an extra $100, you know, he's going to double that. It's going to go twice as far. Um, but isn't it encouraging that there is somebody who lives, who doesn't go to our church, not going to benefit directly from from this, who's saying there is such a need in this place 
for a church that is going to provide a home for people, that I'm willing to give, I mean, he didn't even ask his wife, he just said $25,000. Can you believe it? Um, so I hope that's an encouragement and a challenge to you. I've lived at a lot of places. Uh, Ashley and I, I think, have lived in nine homes since we were married. And about a year and a half ago, we moved back here. We came home to start this new church. And I'm so thankful that God brought us back home. Because I love this church. I love you guys. I love being your pastor. I love being on this journey together where we get to be about building a home where people who are tired and are worn out can find rest. And many of you have experienced that. And many of you have been a part of helping create that for others. But this is just the beginning. And so um, I hope, my, my hope and prayer for all of us is that, um, that everybody who calls Resurrection OC their church would take part in the Christmas offering. Um, we all have something we need prayer for, and we can all give $25 or $100, and some of us are going to have to give a lot more than that if we're going to get to $25,000. Um, I hope that the Christmas offering is not something anybody feels guilty about or feels like there's a, a, you know pressure. I hope that this is something that we would give to joyfully because we have found a home here. <coughs> And that we want to uh, not just continue to enjoy this church as our home, but that we want others to be able to come and find rest because they found Jesus. And that's what Christmas is all about. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you left your home in order to come find us and bring us home. That you have announced, not just announced, that you've come. That light has dawned in a dark world. That there is hope, that there's peace, that there is joy because you are going to bring your people home. God, I pray that even as Jesus is now preparing a final home for his people that we would live now knowing that the future is sure that you don't lack the power or the resources to finish what you started that we would know that uh, we have a spiritual home in you alone and having found our home that we would no longer act like people who are desperate but we would actually be able to welcome desperate people into your home as well. God, would you do that in our hearts as individuals? Would you do that in our church? God, would you provide? You are our Father. So thank you for bringing us home. In Jesus' name, amen.